today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. You know, sometimes there are those people in our lives that we look to, nothing wrong with that, except when they occupy that position in our lives that belongs to the Lord alone. And then, now they're gone. Maybe it's not a person, maybe it's a thing that we look to. That which occupies the throne of our lives. Have you ever put someone in the place of God? In today's message, Pastor J.D. shares that Isaiah did. After King Uzziah died, Isaiah was finally able to look beyond his short-sighted view of an earthly throne to see the Lord seated on the heavenly throne. Seek to give God his rightful place in your life today. Now be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in Isaiah chapter 6 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. We're going through the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we find ourselves in the book of Isaiah, and we're going to be in chapter 6. Really been looking forward to this chapter. We'll invite you to join with us and turn there at this time. All right, so I want to talk with you about those times in our lives when we experience those earth-shaking events, you know, the kind that just kind of makes the bottom fall out and your world just falls apart. You ever had that happen? Yeah, me neither. Let's just close in prayer and we'll... (laughs) Some of you are like, that's my life. Welcome to my world. Well, the chapter before us tonight is about a profound, life-changing event in the life of Isaiah the prophet. I would even say it was a defining moment for the prophet Isaiah, and it really changed everything. From this point on, he never looked back, as we're about to see. And for those of you that read ahead to stay ahead, you already kind of know what we're in store for. I have to say that God has used this chapter in my life personally over the years in a powerful way. I mean, it's almost an understatement to say that. It's really been for me over the years a go-to when, I mean, it just seems like everything around you is just falling apart and it doesn't make any sense. And you just hit that low point and that proverbial rock bottom. And it's in those times that God rushes in, and He's always faithful. He always shows up right on time. (laughs) He's never late, but the problem is He's never early either. And we want Him to be early. And there's something about that 11th hour where it's just, it's like, this is it. (laughs) This is how it ends, you know. You know, here you are trying to keep your head above water, and God's like, no, I'm going to do a miracle, and you're going to breathe underwater. Watch me now. I'm going down, Lord, I know. 
It's my hope and my prayer that you'll be encouraged and strengthened with what we have here in God's Word as we go through this chapter. I'm going to actually approach it a little bit differently than what we usually do. It's really an expositional teaching and study of God's Word where we just go line upon line, verse upon verse. We're still going to do that, but I want to take a bit of a different approach and talk more specifically after we read through the chapter. I'll just ask you to follow along with me. I want to read through it first. There's only 13 verses in it. And then afterwards, I want to just kind of share with you what God has placed upon my heart concerning this chapter. So let's read through it, beginning in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above it, verse 2, stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And verse 4, the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of Him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, verse 5, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then, verse 6, one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, 
and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant. The houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. The Lord, verse 12, has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. But yet, verse 13, a tenth will be in it, and will return, and be for consuming, as a terebinth tree, or as an oak, whose stump remains when it is cut down. So the holy seed shall be its stump. That's the mercy of God right there in that last verse. If you'll kindly allow me to, I would like to share with you seven ways that we can respond in those times when the bottom falls out and it seems like our world is falling apart around us. And this first one is in verse 1, and I am keenly aware that it's going to sound like and come off as a firm grasp of the obvious, but this is where it starts. And it's simply that of fixing your eyes on the Lord. I'm using that word, fixing your eyes on the Lord, focusing on the Lord and the Lord only. In order to fully understand just how earth shaking this was for Isaiah, I mean clearly he is shaken up by this. You have to understand that King Uzziah was one of only eight good kings of all of the kings of whom it was said they did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, only eight. And King Uzziah was one of them. And unique to this king was that he reigned for 52 years. And his reign was marked by prosperity, stability, and blessing for 52 years. Israel enjoyed a time of peace and calm and prosperity under this good king. Now he's gone. And as you might imagine, his death would have been seen as a tremendous loss. And it would have created this overwhelming sense of uncertainty. What are we going to do now? Especially concerning the future of Israel. And there's every indication that Isaiah was very close with King Uzziah. It could even be argued that they were very good friends. And now he's gone. And Isaiah is shaken. And what does he do in response? He looks to the vacant throne of this king who is now gone, and then he looks past that throne to the throne. And what does he see? 
he sees the Lord, high and lifted up. Notice, seated on the throne, not pacing back and forth in front of the throne. Could you imagine that? Isaiah looking to the Lord, King Uzziah's gone, and here's God. No, what are we going to do now? Seated on the throne, settled, seated. This is one of those, and you'll forgive me, I hope you don't tire of me saying these two words, but these two words change everything. But God. This is a but God moment. But God is still on the throne. Yeah, I know in the year King Uzziah died, I know that he reigned for 52 years. I know the reign was marked with peace and prosperity, and I know that you're uncertain, even fearful. But God is still on the throne. And here's the thing. It's almost like it took... King Uzziah's death to get Isaiah's eyes back on Jesus. Literally. Are you with me on this? You know, sometimes there are those people in our lives that we look to, nothing wrong with that, except when they occupy that position in our lives that belongs to the Lord alone. And then, now they're gone. Maybe it's not a person, maybe it's a thing that we look to. That which occupies the throne of our lives. And then when that is taken out of the way, where are we going to go? Oh, we're going to go to the Lord. Who are we going to look to? We're going to look to the Lord. What if I told you that when Isaiah looked and saw the Lord seated on the throne, that he literally saw Jesus pre-Bethlehem? It's recorded for us in John's Gospel, chapter 12. Let me read verses 37 through 41, where Jesus actually quotes and refers to this passage here in Isaiah. It says, verse 37, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in Him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. And then listen to verse 41. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory, and spoke about Him. This is known as a Christophany, a pre-Bethlehem experience and appearance of Jesus the Christ. All throughout Scripture, in fact, really replete throughout Scripture, we see many appearances of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. I think about Jacob, you know, the account of when he wrestled all night with the Lord, demanding 
that the Lord bless him. And it's like the Lord saying, well, I want to bless you, but I can't bless you until I first break you. So he touches his hip. And isn't it true God desires to bless us, but the breaking always precedes the blessing in God's economy. Well, the second one is in verses 2 and 4, and it's that of beholding the holiness of the Lord. Isaiah, I mean, if you could just kind of put yourself there in this scene. I mean, this is incredible. I don't know of another word to use to describe it. But he sees this seraphim crying out to one another, and we're told what they were crying out before the throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And really there's no indication that they only said that once. There's probably every indication that they just were worshiping Jesus on the throne. Holy, holy, holy. Why three times? The thought is, is because this is the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. This is going to come up again here in a moment. Then, so he sees the seraphim and they're just worshiping, holy, holy, holy. Then we're told that the earth literally shook, so much so that the doorposts, I mean, if I'm there, I'm like on my face, oh God, oh God, I can't take it. The whole place had shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Imagine this scene. Now why do we have this detail recorded for us? I believe it's because when we fix our eyes on the Lord, it's then that we behold the holiness of the Lord. I think about Peter. Same sort of response as we're going to see here next with Isaiah, when he knows and sees and recognizes that it's the Lord. What's his response? Get away from me. I'm a sinful man. Isaiah, as we're going to see now, says, I am, I am a man of unclean lips. When you're in the presence of the Lord, beholding the holiness of the Lord, fixing your eyes on the Lord, that is your response. And that's what we see here in verse 5. And this is a biggie. They're all biggies really, but I want to spend just a little bit of time on this one. There's another one too that I want to spend some time on. But it's that of humbling yourself before the Lord. I don't know if it's possible 
to overstate the importance of what takes place here with Isaiah. He humbles himself before the Lord, and that he's even able to speak in and of itself is remarkable. I would have been speechless. But I find it interesting that he would, with specificity, refer to himself, his sinful condition there in the presence of the holiness of God, and specifically say that he is a man of unclean lips. And then he takes her further and says that he dwells in the midst of people with unclean lips. This is one of those places where you have to ask yourself why. Why this specifically? This is a pretty powerful scene here that's taking place. And for him to be able to speak, and then when he does, he refers with the specificity to the uncleanness of his lips. Here again, I would suggest that Isaiah was keenly aware of his own propensity to sin with the untamed tongue in its restless evil and deadly poison, as James refers to it. And then for him to also include with himself Israel as also being a people of unclean lips. Hang on to this. I want to come back to it here shortly. It actually ties in with our fourth one in verses 6 and 7. It's confess your sins to the Lord. That's what he does here. And the reason he does this is because when we fix, notice the progression here. When we fix our eyes on the Lord, we'll behold the holiness, the purity, the holiness of the Lord, which in turn causes us to humble ourselves before the Lord. And when we humble ourselves before the Lord, we'll confess our sins to the Lord in order to be forgiven and cleansed by the Lord. And that's what's happening here. And it's going to happen in a pretty dramatic way, and we're going to see that next. What's interesting to me is not so much that Isaiah's sin was cleansed and purged. It's more about how and where his sin was purged. Now again, picture the scene with me, and this is why it is, I believe, that we have this detail. You've got the seraphim, and he's just confessed that he is a man of unclean lips. And the seraphim flies, that alone would have, I mean, you know, I'm like, you know, whoa, I can't take this anymore. He goes over to the altar before the throne, and he gets a hot coal. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. 
We hope you continue to be encouraged as you learn some good things from the book of Isaiah. Did you realize that there are 39 chapters in Isaiah that address judgment and 27 chapters that point to God's salvation? How fascinating that this book relates to 39 books of the Old Testament, much about judgment of sin, and 27 books of the New Testament, pointing to Jesus as God's salvation for the world. Isaiah is yet another example of how God interweaves the old with the new, and how prophecies from old point to fulfillment of that later. Are you seeing the connections that God has written into these pages of Isaiah? If you're wanting to hear this message again or more like it, you can find them at calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're there, you can learn more about the church this ministry is supported by, Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. If you're not already plugged into a local church, we invite you to be part of our church family. If you're in or near the Kaneohe area, we'd love for you to come visit us on Sundays and Thursdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find service times and directions on our website. Again, that's calvarychapelkaneohe.com. We're so glad you tuned in today to learn from the book of Isaiah. We look forward to the next edition with Pastor J.D. and the things that God has put on his heart to share from this prophetic book. Thanks again for listening today to In Spirit and Truth.